What a beautiful hymn to start us off. For the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the skies. This is our joyful hymn of praise. With such an incredible week or so of weather like we've had, that was a wonderful song to remind us to stop and enjoy nature that God has given us all around. And I have um, finally decided to get back out into nature. This weather spurned me on to that. I've had a couple of months where I've been a little preoccupied, but that uh, gorgeous weather one day, I decided to take the stroll in the morning like I used to do quite often. And I ran across a couple of old friends of mine. There's two trees that uh, in January of 2005 I first noticed. These two trees kind of um, took me by surprise. I had walked way past my neighborhood and into a little bit more um, elite neighborhood, so to speak. And it's a, it's a series of houses that are on two to three acres of land. They each sit on uh, this lake that winds through this little neighborhood, and some of them have ponds in front, lots of lush trees. It's just gorgeous. And I just crossed this one-lane bridge that is towards the end of the road when I saw my two friends. And at first appearance, I actually thought it was one tree, half alive and half dead. And I was so bewildered. I was thinking, well, this is a, a freak of nature, a <laughs> beauty of the earth. This is a freak of nature. I was trying to figure out what this was. So I, I hurried back home, grabbed my camera, and came back and tried to have a conversation with these trees. I quickly learned, as I got closer and investigated, that it was two trees. One had grown to the right. One had grown to the left. One was thriving, and one had seen much better days. Uh, and as I was clicking the shots of the camera, I heard within me a voice that said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I didn't quite understand what that message was, but in January 2005, I was a volunteer clergy here. I was working full-time as a hospital chaplain. So when I got back home, I uh, realized that, oh my goodness, Carolyn had asked me to, to carry a handful of Wednesday services and uh, so I thought, well, this must be a sermon God has given me for the people of resurrection. So I opened up my Bible, and I found this scripture. It was in the middle of Zechariah, and I read the verses before it, and I read the verses after it, <laughs> and I went, hmm. as bewildering as my trees. I was very confused, but I did a little investigation, and I did ultimately get a word for resurrection. Well, back to the present day, I'm out, and I run into my two friends, there were a little bit different picture that I saw, but what I will say to you is that it was as powerful as this one. And I began to take more pictures, and I began to hear the voice again. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And yes, once again, I heard it as a message for resurrection. So will you pray with me? Gracious God, indeed, we do ask that the Holy Spirit would come and light a fire within us. And I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, these two trees, Zechariah. Let me start by just giving you a little bit of historical um, setting for this vision that the prophet Zechariah has. For one thing, the Jewish um, people were returning from Babylonian exile. They had been dispersed. They had been in exile for a period of years, and they were returning to Jerusalem um, after being held captive in Babylon. And 
when they get to Jerusalem, they find a pretty uh, bleak picture. Their homes were destroyed, the city was pretty much destroyed, and the temple lay in ruins. As a matter of fact, it was such a big ruin that they basically saw it as this large mountain of rubble. And so they got there, though, and they really was coming back to Jerusalem as a people, as a with-God community, and they really felt to return to that with-God life. And so this temple was important to them, and they decided that they were hearing God call them to rebuild this temple because this temple held the light or the flame of God within it, which represented for them the presence of God in their community. So they started off trying to rebuild this temple, and they, at first they had a lot of excitement. I mean, they were new back in town, and there was a lot of zeal, a lot of excitement. But their uh, Samaritan friends, who were also in the Jerusalem with them, they, they really didn't appreciate this project of rebuilding the temple, and they made it their mission to discourage uh, this community. And before long, the mountain really seemed too overwhelming, and so they began to just shift and work on their own homes and build their own homes. And so this temple, this big rubble, began to actually represent this preoccupation. It was kind of a testimony of their preoccupation with their own lives and their lack of work for God. And here comes Zerubbabel. He was the governor of the Jewish um, colony at this point. They didn't really have a king any longer in this point in their history, so he was as high up as you could get. When he got to Jerusalem, he really felt called to this task of building this temple, rebuilding this temple. And he felt it so strongly. But if you can imagine a governor, he looks around and he's trying to eyeball his resources. What do I have to help with this? What do the people have? And I, this is just my little imagination. (laughs) I suppose that he probably looked at that giant mountain and saw among his people nothing but a spoon. I mean, each of them probably had a series of resources that individually were not even near enough to come near breaking down that big rubble, but, you know, they each had some resources. So he, too, was feeling a little overwhelmed by the task. Lack of resources, lack of inspiration among the people. So, uh, and poor little Zerubbabel, his name, in the the Jewish uh, custom, your name had a lot of bearing on your destiny. It was kind of, you know, your fate. And uh, Zeru means born, and Babel means Babylon. And for the Jewish people, Babylon, like I said, represented spiritual bondage and defeat. So his name, born in Babylon, which he was, pretty much meant this governor's destiny was probably defeat. And so he was a little discouraged, I'm sure. But here we find this vision from the prophet of Zechariah. And in this vision, we're given a little glimpse as to a message for Zerubbabel and the people. First off, in this vision, we see, or by the angel of God coming to the prophet Zechariah, we see um, a vision of this lampstand. Now, this lampstand comes in and has this bowl, and then there's, scholars kind of disagree a little bit about whether there's seven or seven times seven, but um, anyway, there's, let's just say, seven of these lights coming forward, and this bowl that holds the oil, and then there's these two olive trees. Now, in this vision, of course, <laughs> Zechariah, I do not understand. Help me understand. And it's, it's pretty easy to understand this, this light, this vessel of light is the menorah. 
It represents what is held in the Jewish temple to bring the presence of God. It's that flame. You might remember when they were in the desert for 40 years, they had the flame by night to guide them. That represented the presence of God. So there's this flame of this menorah, you know, that represents the presence of God. And then there's these um, uh, two olive trees on either side. Now, the relevance of the olive trees is very significant. Because during the time that the Jews had this temple, the role of the priest was to go back into the temple, back out of the temple, and his role was to nip and clip and make sure the wick stayed and fill the oil and, and clean the chute. And if you can just imagine, it was a task. It was the priest's task to keep the presence of God in the temple and among the community. So this vision, we see that now... This lamp has two olive trees. Olive trees represent the um, continual source now of light for God's presence. So what does all of this mean? Well, we're very fortunate that we kind of get to see things in hindsight or 2020 vision, I guess you can say, because we have a new lens for which to look at the scripture. Jesus gives us this lens before he departs for his ascension. And he gives us the ability to look at these prophecies and see this indeed is a messianic prophecy. This is a prophecy that grace will be ushered in. And that we no longer have to have this priest doing all this human effort. We have the high priest, Jesus Christ, who now is our intercessory. And then, of course, this, this olive branches, this continual source, is the Holy Spirit for which we have the power to do what we're called to do. Does that sound good? <laughs> so now we're all clear about Zechariah, <laughs> our history lesson for the day. Well, like I mentioned earlier, we are in the season, the tail end of Easter, and indeed Jesus, at this point, has spent, Acts tells us he spent 40 days with the disciples <clears throat> explaining, better get me a sip before I explaining a little bit about his resurrection, his death, his suffering, and he explains much about the Psalms and the Law of Moses and the prophets, and he gives them this new lens for which to review Scripture. He also, before he leaves, gives his blessing and a mission. He gives them a mission that, yes, sounds pretty impossible. Now, all of a sudden, we have a global mission and we've got to do it without Jesus by our side. So he says, but you will be clothed with power from on high. I didn't see. Did y'all see, see the ascension picture? There it is. There is a lot of interesting artist renditions of this ascension. And some of them are really freaky where all you get is little legs hanging out of the cloud and... So I told Mark, I said, I really don't want that one. I want the one that shows Jesus, you know, kind of blessing us. So thank you, Mark, for that picture. <laughs> so, the, so here's the ascension. And so here we are being tasked with the impossible. Have you ever felt tasked with the impossible? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen mountains in front of you that look too hard, too difficult to get through? Have you ever faced a situation in life with nothing but a spoon? <laughs> Have you ever felt that discouraged? 
Have you ever felt like, I don't have enough, I can't be enough to do what I'm being asked to do, and you find yourself going, they don't need my spoon at the temple anyway. It's just a little old spoon. Yeah, it can't possibly help do anything relevant. And anyway, if I show up with my little spoon, they'll just laugh. You know what? I'll just use this spoon in my own house. It's so small, no one will notice it's gone anyway. And I know there's people that got much bigger spoons, and they'll take care of everything at the temple. <laughs> Excuses we come up with to silence that voice that calls us in the night. But Jesus did not leave us alone. We have more than a spoon. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit that the Hebrew Scriptures call ruach, which means breath or wind. And the first time, it's, it's used several times in Scripture, but interesting enough, it's so relevant. It's in the first two verses of our Bible. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while the Spirit of God swept over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, over the chaos, the emptiness, created life. So the Spirit that we have been empowered with is the spirit of God's creativity. It is the very spirit that brings life to those dark places. And God called it good. You ever wondered why God took the time to state or claim or take accountability for his creation? I mean, was anybody listening? <laughs> God created and called it good. Could it be that we who are empowered with this gift of creativity are also meant to take some record of what we create, to look and see, is it good? Our bodies, these bodies that we have by God, we have mind, body, and soul, and then we have the breath of God in us, the Spirit. Have you ever walked up to somebody and without any really body language shift, you know intuitively that they're depressed or disappointed or anxious or worse, angry? That's because at all times, the Spirit is moving in and out of us and around us we are creative creatures. And whether we like it or not, our soul is always trans transmitting this spirit. We have the very breath of God in us. Job 33.4 says, The spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. That is a powerful statement. <laughs> nothing's insignificant 
if you've been made by God. Everything that you have, everything that is in you, everything that transmits through you is relevant. We go back to those scriptures in Zechariah. In the very first verse, it says that Zechariah was wakened from a slumber. I think that's our call today, to have this spiritual awakening, this aha moment where we go, oh my goodness, I have the very force of God in me. And so we are also being called to live this with God life, with purpose and meaning. We're called to do this in a with God community. And that is so we can be accountable for our creativity and we can bring this spoon and this spoon and this spoon and do the incredible. Our ordinary gifts become extraordinary with the power of God running through us. That is our mission and our task. That is our calling. I think uh, if we was to go back and look at the uh, Zechariah passages, in verse 6 it says that this vision was a word to be delivered to Zerubbabel. This was a man, remember, who felt defeated, felt discouraged, but really felt this burning urge to do this work. And this vision to Zechariah was a word for him, and it's a word for any of us that are facing those mountains in life that seem to overwhelm us. Verse 7, it says, Who are you, O great mountain? For not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit will all things be leveled out and become a plain before us. Now, I don't want you to confuse power with magic. <laughs> yes, we have the power of God in us. We have the creative spirit of the Almighty working through us. Through us. That means that that temple did not just poof and get created. It took them 49 years to rebuild that temple. But it happened because they showed up with their spoon one day at a time and they knew they had the faith that moved that mountain. God works in and through us with this spirit. We don't sit on the sidelines and watch the rubble go away. Power is not magic. It's faith. Verse uh, 8 says, God came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also complete it. This verse tells us that what God starts in you, God will help you see it through. God will work in you to give you that incredible power to do the impossible. And finally in verse 9, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. That's where I decided the spoon had to come out. <laughs> small things. If you thought it was not relevant, if you despise those small things, you're missing the point because God uses all things. All things. I want to go back to my tree friends. I had told you that what I saw the next time I saw them was pretty powerful. I was walking again, and this time as I passed that one-lane bridge and got to the other side and turned to look at my two friends, I thought at first glance, well, he, he's coming along. <laughs> the one on the right is coming along. But as I got closer, I realized they had just 
a tiny bit of foliage at the end of his limbs. Instead, this vine, this basically this weed, had come up all through it and had taken over this tree. The one on the uh, left was still very much alive and thriving. So I'm taking my pictures again and hearing that scripture and I just stop. I said, God, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not sure I totally understand, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Not by might is a, the word there means like a mental and power, you know, not by strength. So it's like not with brain or brawn, but with God's spirit. And I'm looking at these trees and I'm saying, God, they have the same plot of land. They have access to the same love and care of your son shining on them. They have probably both encountered the same storms of life and struggles. Why indeed, if they have this same continual source, did one thrive and one basically have no meaningful purpose on its own? I got nothing. I got squat. So I walked myself home. <laughs> God does that to me for a while. And then I kept pondering and pondering. So the next day I go for a walk again and I come back up to my friends and I just sat there and I looked up at them and I said, I, I just yelled, tell me your story. I do not understand. And ever so gently in the breeze, the thriving tree said, years ago when we came to we had to make a decision. There was this telephone pole here in the middle, and so we decided the best use of our resources is for one to grow one way and one to grow the other. And my little friend here took the first choice, and he looked out, and he saw this very fancy house over here, and he decided he wanted to grow that way. He said, that must be some very important people in that house. And so I want to shade this house, for I know that they will care for me. And he said, so I grew to the left. I was so glad because on the left I saw this one-lane bridge. And I knew that many people would pass by this road. Many strangers, friends, families, all needing to go safely across that bridge. And I knew that I would be able to grow full of life and provide shade and shelter from the rain so that they could safely pass on this bridge. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then I was sure <laughs> that all that had come to me about spoons began to make sense, that God was saying all along, let my life force go through you, and together we will thrive and live and be strong. And that is the message. If we go back to the ascension picture, that's the message of Jesus. He is saying, I have this impossible task. Yes, I realize it. But first, I'm giving you some insight. I'm telling you how all this in the past has had meaning. I am gifting you with three things. My blessing as he's off into the air. A promise. God will clothe you with the spirit of the almighty, this creativeness. And something very interesting that Jesus leaves us. He leaves us footprints in the sand. We have all we need to do the work of the church. For we have the eternal blessing of Jesus the Christ. We have this promise of God, this ushering in of grace, the spirit within us. And we have footprints. We have the stories of the way that Jesus lived 
his life. Jesus promises that what God starts in us, God will finish. Resurrection, MCC, God is calling. Are we listening? Can we thrive as a church during the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression? Oh, great mountain. You are a level plain before me, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Can we find the time in our lives to worship together and go deeper in our faith when everything in this world pulls us away? Yes. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And when you face that next mountain in your faith, in your walk, in your journey, can you too hear God calling? Amen.